all of our phones going to die? I now have 17%. Mm-hmm. Dude, I have like a 12. lot of battery. I have got right a little, now. only a little tiny bit of battery left. All right, but let's get this going. Guys, okay. I need sure. To, like prop this so I can leave It's my like phone the oil and the flower with Elijah and the wi- and the widow. <laughs> but it's battery power. Are we good? Yep. Ready when you are, okay. sis. To the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And we're going to talk about art today, which I'm really excited about because I'm also an art nerd. But this is not my segment. This is Bree's segment. What up? So... I love art stuff. I'm also a har- <laughs> hashtag art nerd. Art stuff. I love art yes. stuff. I love making art stuff and looking at it. And it's so, a good time. Just because I'm a very um, categorical person, is this one of those How to Lutheran segments, Bree, or is this something like completely different you know i don't know that it's a how to lutheran because it is i feel like what we're going to talk about today sort of transcends lutheranism if yeah. you can believe that Ooh, how wow. to be an art critic how in to... the christian world that's a really long time yeah that's a lot <laughs> i don't know I, I don't really know that you can categorize me ever okay well that's true we'll, yeah. we'll talk about it later how about we'll take that maybe one thing i love about you you don't ever fit in those it's like a grab that i like to line up on my desk <laughs> Bree doesn't have a box i'm a wild card no. guys all right what are we talking about i'm unhinged. unhinged so we've been talking in the facebook group about uh artistic portrayals of jesus mm-hmm. and this came about by uh, our some initial discussions that uh, the co-hosts and I had about Warner Salman's Head of Christ painting, mm-hmm. which I lovingly refer to as the one painting of Jesus in every church ever, mm-hmm. TM. And every YMCA. <laughs> and every, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it really is. Interesting. <laughs> I went ahead and I did a little bit of research on Warner Salmon. It's kind of an interesting story, kind of an interesting timing thing as well. I kind of liken it to the Protestant Reformation in a way. So maybe that's our little Lutheran tie-in. I don't know. So Warner Salmon was born in 1892. His parents were Swedish-born folks. They lived in Chicago. Um, At the age of 16, he was a convert to the Evangelical Covenant Church, Hmm. which is Mm -hmm. some Protestant sect that I'm I'm not sure if it has become something else today or if it still exists, but... um, Uh, Yeah, it definitely exists. Does it? (laughs) Okay. I don't know. I'm awesome not being folks smart over out. in the Evangelical Covenant Church. <laughs> okay, I've just I've never heard of that before. But anyway, he was classically trained as an artist. His parents made sure that he had the appropriate training to become an artist. And as he grew, he found a career in illustration, like product art, art for publications, things like that. And so. He was working on an issue of the Covenant Companion, which is kind of like the Lutheran Witness. And it it is still published today. It's like the Lutheran Witness, but it's like for kids. 
It's like a, it's like uh-huh. for youth. So Solomon is working f- on this issue of Covenant Companion, and he's got to hit this deadline. And all of a sudden, this inspiration strikes him to create this charcoal drawing of Jesus. It's 1924, and he gets up in the middle of the night, and he starts furiously sketching this charcoal rendition of Jesus, and he is inspired by the words of E.O. Sellers, who is the night director of the Moody Bible Institute, Hmm. who says, make Jesus a real man, make him rugged, not effeminate, make him strong and masculine, not weak, so people will see in his face that he slept under the stars, drove the money changers out of the temple, and faced Calvary in triumph. So the first iteration of Head of Christ, which we'll see several years later, was founded in Son of Man from 1924. Huh. Eventually, this this Son of Man painting or charcoal rendition would become the head of Christ. And I think what happens is he keeps, he like, he like goes on tours and stuff to like churches and draws it for people, kind of like hmm. they do at the youth gathering. Oh, now. like the Jesus painter. Like he kind of he does these chalk talks. Like he huh. he travels around the country doing this. So ultimately, he creates this head of Christ oil painting in 1940, and religious publishers Creble and Bates take up the copyright, the image copyright. They manage that copyright for decades after that. And so here is the Protestant Reformation tie-in for you all. Okay. So it's mid-1900s. We sort of hit this era of mass marketing, printing art for consumption, for advertisement, for publication. And so... It's Mad Men days. It's Mad... It's the days of John Hamm. Okay? That old friend of the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge. Our old friend, John Hamm. The image starts getting printed, like, everywhere. It's getting printed on tracts. It's getting printed on, like, pocket cards for war, for soldiers going to war to have in their back pocket. Um, it's being printed on, on like, church signs and stuff. And so Creeble and Bates are, are looking at this. Basically, Salmon would get $100 every time it was published elsewhere. And, and Creeble and Bates were seeing, like, all these royalty fees coming in and and it just showing that this image took off and just started getting distributed on this mass level. And I think nowadays we look back and we see it's probably half a billion copies of this image are out in the world. It's everywhere. Right, like today. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hundreds of millions of replications of this Head of Christ oil painting that we see in our churches even today. But the thing, the kind of the cool thing about Salmon is, based upon what I've read, the research that I've done, he wasn't really in it for the money. Hmm. He he never really meant to turn a profit on any of his imagery. I mean, publication and illustration was his job. Mm-hmm. In, an, in an interview once, he said, I'm not in this for myself. I believe the Lord has given me a job to do of pointing people to Christ through the medium of art. Now, of course, when you when you're looking at a piece of art like that and you see how many times it's been reprinted and and how how saturated it is in the world and how much money the copyright holding company is probably making off of this, you might think that 
there's sort of this fake naivete of of <laughs> you know, surely he was he's he's in it he's just being humble i'm sure he you want to say it. yeah right right and, yeah. and i think so i think <laughs> you, that that's you yeah failed you failed at not doing this for the money because the money's coming it's coming anyway so i think that that that, that is part of one of the big criticisms of this painting, because there are criticisms of it, he sort of, Salman sort of has this uncynical view of his role in all of this. And I think that the cynic in me, at least, mm-hmm. is thinking that he's full of hot garbage um, <laughs> sitting on a, on a mound of he's coins, spitting them out of his him mouth away. like Scrooge McDuck. Being all but proud don't you want to believe Jesus it though? Pain. You know what? Don't you I do want to believe that do. he was in this for the gospel? And you know, I think because he did this painting, this this one in particular, before he hit it big, that you could say, yeah, there's some truth to this. Right. I'm sure he's human like the rest of us, but I really, really want to believe that he wasn't just in it for the money. I do. I do too. And so that all said, it's not going to stop the critics from coming. I mean, when you have hundreds of millions of this oil painting replicated out in the world, it's obviously going to draw ire from people who are just generally miserable about their lives. Mm. One of the things that this painting has been accused of is basically being kitschy or overly sentimental, sort of this unbelievable, inauthentic cultural representation of Christ. Because it's been so deeply ingrained in the world, this painting now, everyone thinks Jesus is white now. That's what ever. And when everyone envisions Jesus, he's a white man because of Warner Salmon. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's necessarily the case because I'm, I'm just going to put this out there. Maybe it's going to come to as a surprise to some of you out there in podcast land. Jesus was not a white man. Let me let me just be clear on that. (laughs) However, if we look at Warner Salmon's life and really the life of anybody who does artistic portrayals of Christ, they're going to go with what they know. Mm -hmm. So Warner Salmon, who is this white man born of Swedish parentage. I mean, yeah, he's going to he's going to draw Jesus that that looks like Nordic christ like of course that's what's going to happen i mean we see this in every culture we see african portrayals of jesus we see southeast asian portrayals of jesus we see hispanic jesus and i think that's just the nature of art that's just the nature of making art and I think sort of the cool thing about that, because we see sort of if as we sort of switch gears here talking about artistic portrayals of Jesus, I think it's kind of cool that we we see black Jesus and Asian Jesus. We see all these varieties of Jesus portrayed in art. And I think that's cool because it's sort of reinforces the fact that he is human and lived among us and he is family. He's familiar to us. And so when I see iterations of him with different skin tones or features or, you know, even like contexts of time, whether it's Jesus in a more current outfit or in the robe with the red sash, like it's it it speaks to his humanity and his desire to be close to us, which I think is the coolest part about all the ways that we can portray Jesus artistically. 
We just had a missionary at our congregation over Christmas, and he brought a nativity scene that was made in Africa. So the nativity obviously looked African, mm-hmm. but it was really cool to see the the things that we know in our own context mm-hmm. in someone else's context, because we read uh, literature, we read scripture through our lenses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's the story of Christ, but we come at it from a different place than other people. Right. And so they have this nativity set made out of their own materials and in in the way that they do art. And I think that's really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, this, you know, talking about the humanity of Jesus, we've got to acknowledge that Jesus doesn't look however we want him to look. He, He lived on earth as a human being who looked a particular way and not in other ways. And then when he went to heaven, he took that body with him. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's this shapeshifter, changer person that we do with him as as we will. But I think as we look at these different representations of Jesus in art, including in white Anglo-Saxon Protestant mid-century America, (laughs) I'm reminded of in the scene in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes. And the first thing we see on Pentecost is the gospel story being translated Mm -hmm. by the power of the Holy Spirit into all these other languages and people saying, oh, well, we thought this was just a Jewish story. Turns out it's in our language too. Mm -hmm. The Medes and the Parthians and the, you know, all of those... people heard the gospel in their own language. And I think, Brie, that's what you're getting at, is that when you see these artistic representations of Jesus, you're seeing the gospel translated into the visual language of the people who are creating and viewing the art. Right. And I think that is just really amazing. I mean, it, it, yeah. makes, it, makes, it makes him accessible. Think about artistic portrayals of God the Father. Lightning coming out of his nostrils, smoke coming out of his nostrils, and lightning coming out of his eyeballs, or whatever it says in the Bible. It's... Yeah, it's really hard to do it's in a mean, way that doesn't feel blasphemous. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 yeah. rough and it's inaccessible. And I think I mean the one example I can think of is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> right. I fast forward exactly. through that scene every time because it feels wrong. Right. Yeah. And so so I think it's cool that yeah we have this way of portraying God the Father, which isn't right. But that we can look at the second part of the Trinity and say, yeah, He's one of us. I thought it was pretty cool that a lot of you shared your favorite artistic portrayals of Jesus in the Facebook group. This was a great art thread. It was a really great art thread. Special shout out to Molly Buffington Lackey for just putting out the realness, showing us some real cool medieval ancient paintings and sort of putting words and information to them in ways that I would not have even known. I also appreciate all of the different sort of cultural representations of him. I'm seeing a lot of Jesus as sort of this fatherly figure. I see a lot of uh, artistic representations in this thread of him with children, whether it's one-on-one or it's, you know, a group of children from a variety of nations. I think that that's really cool. Um, I say, and maybe this is just me being that wild card, but I feel like the art, the renditions that were most interesting to me and that I liked the most were actually kind of sort of beyond my cultural leanings. So, like, I saw a couple of paintings from Heichi. Is that the way to pronounce that? So seeing sort of these technicolor renditions of Jesus and Bible stories, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, like that, the the image of that that was shared is just 
fantastic. I see a few uh, pieces of art from Watanabe. I think we have, there's at least one here in the building from, from them that that's hanging up somewhere. I'm going to have to go yeah. find it. Mm. Watanabe. Watan, wat, Watanabe. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm, I don't know my yeah. words very well. The other honorable mention that I would like to make is The Hand of God, painting by Yang Sung Kim. It appears to be Jesus reaching down under the surface of the water, pulling up presumably Peter, Jesus walking, at least that's my interpretation of it, is you're looking up through the eyes of Peter at Jesus who's reaching down because you took the steps of faith to meet Jesus and by your own reason and strength, you can't stay above the water, but Jesus still comes and he <laughs> pulls you back up so you don't get a bunch of water in your lungs. But like that, And the realism, the realism of that is just amazing to me. To, to be able to conceptualize what that would look like and translate it on a paper so that it it makes sense that it, it's rendered for interpretation. I just think that that's, that's really excellent. So I wanted to open it up here to you all before we wrap it up. I love, I love collecting Christian art. And when I travel internationally in particular, that's something that I'm always on the lookout for to see if there is, I don't, I don't always have luck with it, but I like to see if there is an opera, if there is some, some example of Christian art done in the local traditional style in that place. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have, I have a number of nativity sets Mm -hmm. uh, that are from different places uh, using different materials and, and styles. And then I also have, when I, when I lived in Japan, I went and I visited the studio at that point, Watanabe had already died, but his widow uh, was still living and she still had, all of these prints, because that was his that was his medium. Was he did he did prints, mm-hmm. um, and so she had all of these different prints from through the years that he had worked as an artist. So it was fascinating to be able to see that, and he he utilized the Japanese culture and their the things that they value and and appreciate and use that to then depict these different scenes. And so they, they often had sort of a different uh, twist in some ways. So for example, there's a picture here in the, in the office. One of his pictures is of the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. And on the table, you'll see there's, there's like a whole fish, uh, which wouldn't necessarily be out of place for you know, Israel. They're on the ocean as well, Mm -hmm. or on the Mediterranean Sea as well. But there's also sushi uh, (laughs) that you can see on the table. (laughs) And so it's just a very interesting approach that he took to that. Uh, And I really like that. And then I have, I have at home, I have this very large print from, from, by Hei Chi. I saw, I saw one of his art pieces first at Concordia St. Paul in their chapel. (sighs) And I was just totally captivated by it. I Mm -hmm. loved the really vivid colors. Mm -hmm. And again, just the, 
he had a very he has a very strong style yes. and so I really enjoyed it so I had fun looking through that and I decided on one and and decided I would just get a really large one and and frame it for my living room uh, is he a Lutheran artist? No, he's not. Not to my knowledge, okay. anyway. Because I know no, we, so we have quite a few Lutheran artists out there. I don't know yeah. if you wanted to give mm-hmm. props to those folks. I mean, Edrio Haas. Yeah, we do. Uh, is wonderful. I have another one of his. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yes, Huge well. fan. I love Huge his stuff, fan. too. Yeah. Kelly Schumacher with On You Stay Liturgical Arts. Mm-hmm. She is also wonderful and has mm-hmm. done a lot of stuff. Jonathan Meyer, he does also fantastic work. We have one of his paintings. We have one of Kelly's here as well, mm-hmm. the IC. Uh, but Jonathan Meyer has done a lot of really good work. He does a lot of logos and stuff, too, which is cool. Okay, cool, cool. I'm probably forgetting a ton. I'm sure there's more. Oh, yeah. Of course. Those We're are the three. Really that, spot. And then, of course, there's lots of artists in our Facebook group, too. That's true. Um, but those are the three, like, uh, published painting mm-hmm. artist people that, that actually make their living uh, mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. doing artwork. Right. I have, uh, since probably college, at least, I've had a crucifix wall that I've kind of collected different crucifixes over the years from different places, from different, I don't know, times in my life. Um, and I have one for my wedding. I have one for my confirmation. I have wow. one from baptism. Yeah. Um, I know my parents gave me one. I got like an, an olive wood cro- uh, crucifix from Chris Kindle Market in oh. uh, in Chicago one year. Just uh, I, I like the different different depictions of the crucifixion in just different ways. Um, Because some are really simple. Oh, I got one in France when we went to France, the the Chartres Cathedral. Uh, I got one there that's just beautiful. Um, But some are really simple and minimalistic. I think one of them is a cross with like a kind of serpentine thing going on. Mm -hmm. But some of them are are really intricate um, and have all these beautiful painted details. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also something when I go to different churches or different religious places, Mm -hmm. they may not be Lutheran churches, I always like to look at the crucifixes and the sculptures of of Jesus or of other people. I'm not that great at 3D art, but I love looking at how other how other artists can take material and make it into a 3D form mm-hmm. uh, in different ways, um, especially the the metal, the gold and silver crucifixes with all those just intricate details. They're just they're beautiful. And some places they're really abstract too. And those are those are really fun too mm-hmm. to see the, the abstract interpretations of of what a crucifix can actually look like. Sure. So that's what I like looking at. How about you, Rach? Oh man, I I mean my, my artistic <laughs> tastes are about as eclectic as my literary taste and my musical <laughs> <Yes>. taste. <laughs> um I love um and my husband and I both share this enjoyment of uh, sort of orthodox iconography, mm. um, the way that it so richly imbues theological meaning into the artwork, like the Christ, the Pantocrator, that's yes. the, the famous depiction of Christ. And there's so much, again, theological richness in that. I love the Renaissance masters. I mean, Michelangelo's Pietà is just like makes me cry every time I, I see it just about. Let's see, some of the, like Lucas Cranach with the early Lutheran, mm. uh, basically he was the Warner Salman of the Lutheran, yeah. the real Lutheran government. <laughs> I love Cranach. <sighs> but I, I love the way different artists shed light on the different angles, lenses through which we see Christ. I want to shout out to some of the 
unnamed illustrators of the children's story Bibles that I grew up with. Yeah, you know, I've got one in front of me right now. This children's Bible um, published by Golden Press in New York that has really just shaped so much of the way that I, you know, because I was. I spent my childhood paging through this and I look through it and I can't find the name of the illustrator anywhere. <sighs> and I know that the story Bible from Concordia Publishing House, you know, also it's because the emphasis is on the stories, not on the artist. And that's, I think, how the artist would like to keep it a lot of times, too, especially in those kinds of works. We have one. Sarah, you have a wall of crucifixes. I have one giant crucifix. <laughs> it was one that a church in northern Michigan was, they were redoing their sanctuary and were donating the crucifix. And it, it ended up in our church. And then the church uh, decided they didn't have a space for it. And so it ended up in our home. Hmm. And it's this unnamed wood carver uh, who created this body of Christ. It's not terrifically, I mean, it's not Michelangelo. But every time I look at it, I see the faith of the person who created that, who lovingly carved it for the altar on a, on a church. And it's been a huge devotional aid to me. And everywhere we go, like I know people come into our house, they walk into our living room, that's the first thing they see. And it just becomes this witness of people look at our wall of icons and our giant Lucas Cranach on the wall and and our, our crucifixion, they realize, okay, that's that's the kind of family this is. And it's, <laughs> I just have got to take them as that. And I think in that way, our art is such a powerful witness to what we believe and, and how we construct our identities. So yeah, named and unnamed. I, I love that people enter imaginatively into the gospel story and attempt to show it in a way that makes other people fall into the story too. Mm -hmm. Art is such a, I think, critical piece to liturgy or just Christian living. I mean, of course you have, you have word and sacrament and that's, that's what truly saves us. But pictures are fun too and are helpful yeah, well, to people who don't understand it. Yeah. They're so instructional. I mean, how many of us as children have been catechized by the stained glass? Around right. us in the church, by I the by the paintings, glass. by the by the Warner Salmon, yes. you know, prints mm -hmm. in the Sunday school classrooms that they teach us in a way that you know, there's a time in our life when words don't get through to us in the same way that pictures do. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so art capitalizes on that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think though we can't end this episode, Brie, without you left something out of the life of Warner Salmon, really important thing. And let me see if I can find the window where I pulled it up. In 1916, Warner Salmon married Ruth Anderson, whom he met while both were singing in the church choir. Yeah! Oh! <laughs> you know what's interesting, though, too, about that is he got diagnosed with, like, some crazy illness, like, after, like, before they got married, and he wasn't expected to turn it around. Like, he was, they are like, you have three months to live. Wow. But he lived, so. Wow. There's wow, a lot to his sorry. story. <laughs> sorry, that's a whole other story I didn't get into. <laughs> My bad. But still, I think shout out to the choir, church choir matchups. Um yes. that's the there best we way go. to go. All right. Spouse, I think. Christian Single.com. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I see what you did there. And on it. that note, I up think quick. it's time to wrap this it's, up. It's going downhill quickly. Uh-huh. All right, ladies in podcast land, uh, we have a thread in the Facebook group already with artwork. If you would like to add to that thread, please do. We'll bump it when this episode launches so you can add your own artwork to the thread or just look through all of the really pretty stuff that people have posted. It's pretty great. Um, maybe you'll find a new favorite artist. If you're not in the Facebook group yet, you can find us there at the Lutheran Ladies Lounge in your Facebook app. You can also find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app, of course. You are listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge. You guys remember Brio Magazine? Yes. I bet it was kind of like that. They're bringing that back, you know? Oh, my gosh. I haven't heard about that in a long time. What? Oh, yes. It was so it's like Brio Magazine. But you can't just say it's like Brio Magazine. We can talk about it later. Okay. Brio Magazine was, what was it, in the 90s. Yeah. The the magazine for girls whose parents wouldn't let them read things like Vogue and Owl and and 17. Mm -hmm. It was the quote unquote Christian counterpart. Was it a a guy? Wow. Was it a guide okay. post? It was. Was oh. it a focus on the family? Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. To sidetrack us like that. That's all right. That. It's okay. okay. So.